Hello, my friends. If we've never met before, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been in this series called The Land Between. Because if we're honest, this is the season that we are in. I was talking with a mentor last week and I used the phrase post-pandemic. And he said to me, oh, interesting. Uh, do you still wear a mask at your church? I was like, yeah. He's, he said, do your kids wear a mask at school? like yeah he's like are you sure you're post pandemic and that's true right it's like we're past part of this pandemic thing but we're not completely past it we're in between our church as well we have exited one season of ministry and leadership but we haven't reached that next part with a new senior leader and maybe there's no better metaphor for the land between than college right? Because when you're in college, you're not quite a full adult. Uh, you don't have a career yet. You don't pay taxes. Uh, you, you don't uh, eat dinner at 5 p.m. and complain about your back hurting. But you're also not a kid anymore. Uh, like you have to wake yourself up in the morning and make yourself go to, to school. Uh, no one is making your meals for you anymore. I remember the first time I microwaved uh, a ramen noodle meal and I was like, ah, I have created food and it was very good. Uh, my first year in college, I shared a restroom with three other guys. And a few months in, we realized no one had cleaned the restroom. And so we looked around at each other and the filth, and we said this phrase to each other, someone should do something about that. Because the reality, someone used to do something about that, and her name was Mom. And she's not here anymore, and so we had to figure it out. And finally, one of us did do something about it. We came up with this brilliant idea. Instead of cleaning the floors, we would do what you sort of do in a hamster cage and we put down newspaper all across the floor. <laughs> Instead of cleaning, we would just throw away the newspaper after it got dirty. I wish that this were not true, but this is a true story. Uh, this is the land between. Instead of a land of milk and honey, college is the land of ramen noodles and soiled newspapers. <laughs> but this phrase, someone should do something about that. I wonder how many times you say that phrase in your life. Uh, maybe it's in your neighborhood park. It's broken down and you see trash everywhere and you say, man, someone should do something about that. Or maybe you hear a coworker uh, make some racist comments and you say, someone should say something about that. Or maybe in the community, you notice an injustice. Uh, maybe you say, man, someone should teach those kids uh, how to read or tutor them. Uh, or maybe at our church, maybe you see a gap in ministry or leadership and you say, man, I really wish someone would do something about that. See, this statement, if we're honest, is a statement of passivity. It's passing off to someone else. It's waiting and hoping that someone else will do something about that. But the problem is, you and I, we are here in this moment. We're here in this city, in this neighborhood, in this church. And God has you here for a reason. In the land between, there used to be someone who did that. And maybe someone will do that in the future. But what about now? See, if we wait for someone else to do that, we'll miss 
what God has for us in this moment. Now, uh, we've been looking at the Israelite story, uh, waiting to fulfill the vision for the Israelites to enter the promised land, but they're not there yet. And for years, whenever there's a problem or a conflict, someone did something about that. And that someone was Moses. Uh, He led them out of Egypt. He helped them cross the Red Sea. He passed down a new law. But then there was another man, a young man named Joshua. And Joshua was close to Moses. He shadowed him uh, real closely and learned from him. We see this in Exodus 24. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and wait there, and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for your instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. This is how close Joshua was to Moses. And there's sort of a perfect position for Joshua. He got to be near the action. He got to see uh, what Moses was doing, but he had little responsibility. He could pass things off to Moses. I mean, just imagine if someone came with a complaint or a question or a conflict, Joshua had the privilege to say, "Uh, let's ask Moses about that. Uh, Moses will know what to do about that. It's sort of like a third string quarterback on an NFL team. It's like you get front row seats to a great game, but you really don't have to do anything. And you get paid money to do it. It's great. Now, before they, they reach the vision, the goal of the promised land, Moses passes on his leadership and he dies. Uh, we see this in Deuteronomy. Moses went out and he spoke these words to Israel. I'm now 120 years old and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The leader, the guide, the one with all the answers is now gone. So imagine with me, put yourself in Joshua's shoes. The first person that comes up to him and says, hey, uh, someone's got to do something about this. What are we going to do next? And probably out of instinct, Joshua wanted to go ask Moses. But then slowly, the realization sets in that someone is me. So for the rest of our time, uh, we're going to look at Joshua and learn lessons about leading in the land between. Because the reality is that we are all leaders. Whether you have a fancy title or not, Leadership is influence. Whether it's a hundred people or three people, we all have the ability to influence others. And so we want to learn lessons of leading in the land between. Now, the first lesson we can learn is this. Leaders and strategy change, but vision remains. Leaders and strategies change, but vision remains. Now, what do you think of when you see the Apple logo? What do you think of? Maybe you're like me and you think of your very first home computer, the old green screen Macintosh, the logo was rainbow colored. Or maybe you think of the past 15, 20 years, iPods and iPhones have just been ubiquitous every year. Or maybe you think of a drawer that you have full of Apple cables that don't plug into anything else. Or maybe you think of those dramatic announcements that they make. Uh, where it, it seems like this latest invention is going to change the world. And they're like, this latest iPhone, it has a volume button. Mm, 
That's right. That's right. But uh, inevitably, I'm sure at some point you think of the man Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs is a legendary founder here in our neighborhood. Uh, we hear the stories about the Mountain View garage or the Mountain View computer store where he walked in barefoot. Or we hear stories about his fierce uh, leadership, his crazy personality. When you think of Apple, you think of Steve Jobs. But later in life, when he got sick and it, it seemed that he would pass away, uh, people questioned if Apple would still be able to thrive because when you think of Apple, you think of Steve Jobs, he was Apple. And his successor, Tim Cook, was way different than he was. Different personality, different traits, and many doubted whether Apple could continue under his leadership. When Tim, Tim Cook took over, uh, Apple was worth around $400 billion, and now it's worth over $2 trillion. I'd say it's done okay. In an interview, Cook said, Jobs once told him, making things with a great deal of care and love is the thing that keeps Apple Apple. And Cook has constantly strived to continue that vision with everything they do. And I'd say he's done a good job. See, often we connect the vision to a person, uh, so much so that we lose the vision. We focus on the personality and we lose the mission, what actually matters. In many ways, Moses was the founder of this promised land movement. Uh, I'm sure many Israelites associated the vision with, with his leadership. But the reality is this vision started way before Moses. It started with Abraham. Uh, we see this vision given by God in Genesis. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one, of, uh, so if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. This vision went through many leadership changes. It went through Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and Joseph and his brothers and then Moses and then Joshua. Now for us, our church has been around for over 140 years. Just imagine how many leaders and pastors have moved on or changed or, or died during this period. In fact, Frank Vanderswan is the only remaining member of that original crew. But imagine how many volunteers, staff members, elders have moved on. Yet, the vision remains. What's our vision? What's our mission? It's to help people find and follow Jesus. Or we can go back even farther to the words of Jesus. It's to uh, make disciples of all nations. It's to be a collection of people showing the kingdom of Jesus to the world. This is our vision. I've been in ministry over 15 years now. And the cliche is so true. There's only one constant in ministry and it's change. <laughs> And it's not just leaders, right? It's strategy as well. Just like any organization or business, as we try to reach our vision, we change our strategy, we pivot, and we, we constantly try new ways to reach the vision. A few years ago, we planted our South City campus with a group of people in our church and some staff members hoping to accomplish this vision in South San Francisco. And over the past two years, with the pandemic and other leadership changes in our church, we are changing our strategy. We're now merging South City back into San Mateo. And so we thought it'd be cool to interview one of our core volunteers 
uh, about this change and how he is remaining uh, to be focused on the vision during this change. When God gives you some kind of a gift, you should use it in some way, right? Been doing audiovisual AV for many years as a way to serve the church. One of the things that drew us to Menlo was the acceptance of people. Anybody can be accepted. And that was the vision we saw. Serving was just being part of that vision. South City was interesting because, you know, every Sunday we had to get there at 6.30 in the morning, setting up, do two services and then tear down. And yeah, that was a challenging ministry because it's hard work. And South City did go through a lot of changes, even through the first couple of years, right? We had change of pastors, we had change of worship leaders. But it helped me appreciate the people who volunteer, the people who come week after week to actually serve this church and, and the vision. As long as God wants us to do it and the vision is still there of the church, uh, we, we want to be part of it. Once you know, the call was out to start coming back, which was at Cemetery now, we came in and volunteered. We started opening up and said, okay, people aren't going to be very enthusiastic to come back right away, right? Like, okay, if we don't do it, then you know, we're going to be relying on other people to volunteer. I said, we can do it. So I, I came in, I got my son, who was helping me before. Says, let's do it. Maybe we can get some high school credits for volunteering or something. I take care of producing, making sure that slides and backgrounds are run properly. I also take care of the cameras. Yeah, basically just to make sure that everybody has a good worship experience. Serving is an important part of our Christian life. It's not just, you know, God gave me like certain gifts and I'll use it in the in corporate or in commercial world. But, you know, doing it in church actually gives us a special kind of a fulfillment. You know, a vision is successful when it passes the first generation. You know, with 140 year history, Menlo has a lot of changes in leadership. It has to, right? There's nobody that lives that long that can support that vision. And to recognize that, you know, that vision is valid, and then just to like feel that, oh, I just want to be a part of this. It might be leading more in a forward way or supporting, you know, you know pushing buttons and <laughs> sliding sliders at the back, right? In whatever way is possible. I mean, just be part of it. Sitting in the pew is great to be ministered to, but working out my faith, sometimes it requires me to like, put myself out and, you know, actually do something. Yeah, so not be like a passive consumer, but be a contributor to it. I just love this story because it's a reminder for us of this question. What are we actually focused on? Are we focused on a leader, a person, a strategy, a building, or the vision? Someone should do something about that because the vision is that important. Now, another lesson we can learn uh, about leadership in the land between is this. God is looking for courage over qualifications. Courage over qualifications. 
Often when we say the phrase, someone should do something about that, what we mean is someone that is more qualified than me. Someone who has the education, the charisma, the knowledge, the power. In 1955, uh, a seamstress left work at, at her job at a de department store. And her main qualifications were in sewing. She'd been sewing her whole life. She, she made her first dress at age 11. And this day, as she rode the bus home, uh, a white man entered. And as a black woman, she was supposed to give up her seat to him. Uh, but she was tired, not physically tired, but tired of a lifetime of injustice. And she had a vision. She had a vision for equality. And so in that moment, she mustered up the courage to not move. And of course, the seamstress was Rosa Parks. And this act of courage sparked the civil rights movement in America. Now, she was not a, a, a brilliant order like Martin Luther King Jr. She didn't have the intense passion of a Malcolm X. She hadn't been trained in strategy or leadership. She had courage to do something about it. Now, Joshua, he was technically qualified. He had shadowed Moses for years. But can you imagine the pressure to follow someone who had parted the Red Sea? A leader who had given the Ten Commandments. I know if I was Joshua, I would be so insecure, I would be terrified. I'd be saying, I'm no Moses. What can I, what can I do about this? Maybe I should just wait until someone better comes along. But what does God uh, call Joshua to repeatedly? He calls him to courage. Three different times in chapter one of Joshua, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. For you, what is that thing burning in your chest? That thing you, you know you need to start, the step you need to take. Maybe it's something you know you need to say or an injustice you need to address, but you keep saying, I'm not qualified for this. What if God is, is looking for people of courage, not people with the right qualifications? Because the Bible is made up of unqualified people. Moses himself was a murdering stutterer. David was a young shepherd. Esther was mostly known for her beauty, and yet she saved the entire Israelite nation. Jesus himself came from Nowheresville, born to a carpenter. See, God looks past worldly qualifications. Someone, someone should do something about that, but that someone will need to have courage. Now, uh, the last lesson to learn in the land between to be a leader is to develop a posture of dependency. A posture of dependency. Now, I have a pedestal here. Uh, a pedestal is something that we use to lift things up, to admire them. This could be a monument, or it could be a decoration, or it could be a person. Throughout human history, we have a tendency to put leaders and influential people up on pedestals. We want other people to lift up and, and look up to. 
years after the Israelites reached the promised land, they asked for a king. We see this in 1 Samuel. Now install for us a king to govern us like all the other nations. And eventually God gave them a king, King Saul. And he was lifted up, he was revered, and then he fell off the pedestal. Same thing with King David, same thing with Solomon, and on and on throughout human history, falling off the pedestal. See, the problem with putting people on pedestals and asking for a king is that the Israelites already had a king. It was Yahweh. It was God. And we have to ask the question, who actually belongs on a pedestal? Who actually has the power? Was the great leader Moses the one who parted the Red Sea? Was he the one who miraculously gave manna? No, it was Yahweh. Was it Joshua, the young leader, that made the walls of Jericho fall? No, it was God. We get this reminder in Joshua 23, You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Now, I have some bad news about our future senior pastor. Uh, the search committee, I know a lot of the people in, in that committee, I, I know them, I love them, I trust them, but the latest I understand, they are looking for a human being to be the next senior pastor. And so therefore, if this person will be a human, we can know that they will make mistakes. There will be times when they have moments of weakness or they won't know what to do. What does it mean to be human? It means to be flawed broken means to be not God. See, we don't need to put other people on pedestals because we already have a king. So when we say the phrase, someone needs to do something about that, the reality is someone already has. Someone is and someone will do something about that. And that someone is God. He's the only one that belongs on the pedestal. Now, my friend Paige attends our church, and she's a teacher in East Palo Alto. And last week, I was with her in her classroom after class, and we were praying for the kids uh, that, uh, that attend her class. And a lot of them come from pretty rough backgrounds, rough family situations. And a few years ago, Paige had the vision to serve these kind of kids and help them catch up and educate them. And then a couple of years ago, uh, she had the vision to start and create uh, an app that would teach kids how to do math. And I just loved as we were praying for these kids that she serves and teaches, she said, uh, she said this phrase, she, she said, I have to become more dependent on God because it's so hard day in and day out. And she realizes that she is not the one that has the power to change these kids. It's the Lord who fights for her. It's the Lord who actually makes the change. See, God is not looking for people who have it all figured out, who have the magic plan or the perfect words. He's looking for people with the posture of dependency, who depend on God for power and might, who understand that if this vision is to be accomplished, it won't be by power, 
or might or my gifting, but God's power. God is looking for people who open their hands and surrender, who say the classic words, here am I, send me. I want to be a part of your grand vision. I trust that you will go with me so I can be strong and courageous. I depend on you for my strength. This, this is the kind of leader that God is looking for in the land between. Someone should do something about that. Maybe that someone's you.